Hello, I'm Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, Episode 77. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to explore philosophy, psychology, self-help, and modern science in light of current issues and topics, with a special emphasis on the great 19th century philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. My basic paradigm is that we have a free mind that can envision a better future and design plans to achieve what the mind conceives through taking specific concrete actions here in the real world. In this episode, I will be discussing an interesting notion that I've covered here before, particularly in episode 43, and that is that the universe itself is evolutionary. But what I want to do today is provide some new insights on this, and that's what we'll be exploring. Why this is such an important topic is that it means that all and everything is evolutionary, including not only us human beings and nature, but spirit as well. Or if you prefer to call spirit God, then if you like God as well. Now, I realize that the words spirit and God mean many different things to different people. And I'll not be analyzing all the various meanings of these terms in the different contexts in which they're used here. But I will be covering this. No matter what your conception of spirit and or God or nature or humankind is, I believe that they are all part of the evolutionary aspect of the entire cosmos, that becoming is fundamental, fundamental to all things. And this is what I intend to show in this episode. Now, I realize this is a controversial notion. Science sees a kind of blind mechanical evolution, but does not acknowledge any purpose behind the evolution it sees. And traditional religion, for the most part, would reject outright that God is somehow evolving along with us. And much of Western philosophy, going back to Plato, believes that there are eternal forms and that they're unchanging and certainly not evolving. And that Western philosophy has been particularly more concerned with substance, primal substances, if you will. This goes back to the uh, pre-Socratics. And these primal substances are not evolving. Now, on the other hand, there has been an increase in what some call evolutionary thinking in all these disciplines. And I will address each of these areas and show how evolution is central to all of them and why I believe this is so. And just why I think this is a better description of what is going on here regarding God or spirit and humanity and nature. Now, I want to work backwards here, so I'm going to start with philosophy, then move to religion, then on to science, to show how the evolutionary nature of the cosmos is established in each discipline. First, philosophy. Closely related to the evolutionary nature of the universe is what is now called process philosophy. This is the worldview paradigm that basically challenges the substance-oriented cosmology that has dominated Western philosophy and science for over 2,000 years. The substance paradigm asserts that everything is just subatomic particles bouncing around. Uh, And it's a paradigm that still exists in large part today. Now, the earliest known Western philosopher that saw things differently was Heraclitus. He was the pre-Socratic Greek philosopher from around 500 BCE. He's best recognized for his notion that change is fundamental and is the most fundamental thing there is. And he famously said, you cannot step into the same river twice. However, I should mention that the ancient Chinese I Ching, or Book of Changes, was also formulated around that time. And it presents 64 different hexagrams that are constantly changing. And there are a total of 4,096 total possible hexagrams that can result from these changes. 
And when consulted at different times for different situations, the meanings are infinite. Now, I focused on the I Ching specifically in episode 30, if you're interested, going back and listening. So this notion of change driving things along is not purely a Western idea at all. But now we must ask, is a process the same as evolution? The concept that the universe is about change and not static things can be agreed upon by those embracing the process stance. But a split occurs immediately whether or not there is any underlying purpose or teleology to this change. And hence we have two camps. One is naturalistic, which contends that the evolution we see in the universe is comprised of randomness and mechanical utility, much like Darwin's theory of evolution. Random genetic changes appear in an organism, and if useful for survival, they remain and are passed down. That's the that's Darwinism in a nutshell. The other camp is teleological, meaning that there is some underlying purpose beneath this randomness and change driving it forward. Now, I believe Hegel really got the ball rolling here on this theological view of evolution, so let's begin with him. Listeners are aware that Hegel begins his science of logic with the dialectic of being, nothing, and becoming. You can go all the way back to episode three and four of this podcast for a refresher on that. Becoming is fundamental in that it is the first form of being that is determined, that is there. Being that is there. It's becoming. Becoming is the unity of being and nothing, the two notions behind it. Yet they maintain their own nature in the unity of becoming. And this is the first example of identity and difference, which is so so much a key part of the Hegelian system. Becoming contains both being and nothing in one notion. And as I have previously said here, the identity and difference of becoming is best seen in the present moment of time that we all experience, the now. The present moment, the now, now is always becoming. The being of the present moment passes away to the nothingness of the past, and the nothingness of the future becomes being in the moment. And both these processes happen at the same moment, at the same time. The present moment, the now, remains in becoming. It always remains there. It's always there. But it's not stagnant. It's always moving forward. But again, it is the same but different. The toe remains in the river. It's the same toe, but it's not the same river. But how does this becoming, or does this becoming involve an evolution of some sort, or is it just change for change's sake? Well, in the science of logic, Hegel traces the development of being all the way through to the absolute idea, which is free creative thought recognizing itself. But it does not end there. He goes on in his encyclopedia, the absolute idea is just abstract in this point. While timeless, it is a subject with life. However, it is not concrete. The creative subjective life becomes actual in nature, nature being the dialectical other of this subjective identity. And this is now what we call spirit, uh, the soul of the individual subjectivity coming to know itself in concrete reality and life in nature. And what's important to recognize, though, that this is doesn't work in three steps, first idea, then nature, then spirit. It's actually all at once at the same time. And this actuality is one of evolutionary development. Spirit corresponds to becoming in the original triad of the logic. The creative absolute subjective mind corresponds to beating. Nature corresponds to nothingness. This is the historical development of spirit. It's an evolutionary process of spirit coming to recognize itself in the world. And 
Hegel's philosophy clearly establishes that this is a creative process of development underway, and it is purposeful, which is, as I said, is to better know its true self. Now, a couple of points here. For Hegel, life does it doesn't just appear spontaneously and randomly by some accident, as most scientists would have you believe. It's part of abstract logic and is therefore more fundamental and indeed timeless when compared to the finite nature of things in time and space. But life and subjecthood were not created. They are eternal aspects of the universe. But this eternity exists within the finite world of space and time. And that's what's important to recognize. And this is what gives us our own life and our own reasoning capabilities. And it's important to recognize that. But also this, it's the purpose of life to increase itself, to better itself. That is what becoming truly is. It's not just a repetition of things, but an advance, a betterment. It's not just a circle of being, then nothing, then being, then nothing endlessly. That's a dead end. That does not re represent true becoming or life, which is what being in the science of logic is. It's not like a circle endlessly repeating, but it's more like an ever-widening spiral. And even if the universe itself eventually runs its course, it will nonetheless be born again in another big bang, and a new beginning with a new potential will, will arrive. And this is actually is a scientific theory proposed by physicist Roger Penrose, which I discussed back in episode 61. So that's Hegel. Now let me move on next to Charles Sanders Peirce. We've talked about him a lot in the podcast. and He was an American pragmatic philosopher who followed on after Hegel. And he had the benefit of coming after Darwin in the theory of evolution. Now, Peirce believed in three types of evolution. First, randomness, second, mechanicalness, and third, what he called agapism, or creative love. Now, the first two are what drive Darwin's theory of evolution, but creative love is the third type of evolution that he envisions, and it's fundamental to the cosmos, not just to people. It's been there always and forever. And all three modes of evolution explain how we got here and where we were headed. And this then brings us to the third of our process philosophers that I want to talk about, British philosopher Alfred North Whitehead. He was the one that put process philosophy on the modern map, if you will. Whitehead had a strong distaste for the belief that matter is the foundation of all there is, for the most part because it does not recognize change. That view does not recognize change. Whitehead also stressed the importance of relations, much like Hegel did before him. We know a thing not for what it is only, but through its also through its relationship to something else. But to cut to the chase, Whitehead also believed in a purposeful universe and that there, there's no such thing as inert matter. All things, he believed, even electrons, have some measure of creativity and freedom. Everything has at least some limited ability to experience things. He believed that the higher life forms not only have this capability, but also the ability to seek life, to seek a, a better life and to live well. This is all part of his, his evolutionary development. Whitehead also had a lot to say about God. Not the traditional con conception of God that we have in the West, but a God that works in tandem with the individual, and in a way it's completed by the individual, and that the individual is in turn completed by God. And he has quite an interesting philosophy, and I would like to swing back to him someday and spend more time with him, maybe do a whole episode. But now that we've touched on religion, I want to move on to the 
20th century American philosopher of religion, Charles Hartshorn. And he took the process philosophy of Whitehead to a new level. And that's what we call today process theology. Now, he was greatly influenced by both Pierce and Whitehead, who we've discussed. But he had many ideas that were his own and were different than, than these two predecessors. And he's perhaps best known for popularizing the term panentheism to describe his process theology. So let's start with just what is meant by the term panentheism. To understand the meaning of this term, one has to begin with a word that it was derived from, and that word is pantheism. Pantheism breaks down into two words, pan meaning everything and theism meaning belief in God. So pantheism means everything is God, which means that everything in the entire universe is a unity and that unity is God. A pantheist believes that God is not a separate being as so much of the Western religions do, but that every single part of the universe, every person, everything, every atom is part of God. While traces of pantheistic thought can be seen in some of Greek theology and some mystics of the Middle Ages as well, it became more of a formal doctrine with the philosophy of the 17th century philosopher Baruch Spinoza. Spinoza rejected the Cartesian dualism of Descartes that mind and body are separate, live, are in separate worlds. He felt they were both part of one whole. Now, some of referred to Spinoza as believing in a nature god. He's often credited as laying the framework for the later 18th century enlightenment with its focus on nature in terms of taking account of what the universe is as it is without external god or gods, which, by the way, got his books banned by the Catholic Church at the time. Now, Spinoza never used the term pantheism in his lifetime, but after his death, his work became more known and his philosophy was branded pantheism. So that's what pantheism refers to. Now, on to panentheism. And panentheism was first coined by German philosopher Karl Krauss in 1828 to differentiate the philosophy of Hegel from that of Spinoza. Krauss felt that Hegel's philosophy was different, that there was indeed nature, but something else was going on. There's something more, something greater than nature was happening. And spirit is the term that Hegel used to describe this something more is going on. Spirit is both intertwined with nature, one with nature, as well as being an urge on its own, an uplifting transcendence to nature, if you will. So Krauss came up with the word panentheism, which is essentially asserting the syllable N in between pan and theism. N means in. So this new word is meant to say that all is in God. Pan, all, N, in, theism, God. All in God. That God is not just equal to the world, but God is also greater than the world. Rather than saying that the world and nature is identical with God, the term panentheism is meant to say that the world is within God, which is a subtle yet a very meaningful difference. Because the world is within God, it means that God is evolving just as the world is. Now, you have to be careful here. It's not that the world is equally real to God. That separates God from the world. God, The world is part of God. Uh, is in God, within God. And even though the world is part of God, God is more than the world because the God of panentheism allows us to transcend the finiteness of nature. And this is much the same as Hegel's true infinity, whereby the finite becomes real only when transcended by the infinite, which we've discussed so many times. 
particularly in episode four. I should be clear that there is no formal, generally recognized definition of panentheism, and scholars have different takes on exactly what it means, the nuances, etc. But I believe I provided a good general definition here, which, which most would agree with, and it fits the evolutionary model that I've been discussing. Now, Hegel said that everything includes both being and nothing, everything, and that there's nothing, not God or anything else, which does not contain both a mediation and an immediacy. So spirit is the mediation of free thought, life's subject of creativity with nature. And in this sense, it is more than just nature, more than Spinoza's pantheism. Now, finally, let's move on to science. As I said, most scientists still hold to the old classical paradigm of a materialistic universe governed by natural laws. Now, there are a few renegades, as I've discussed here before, particularly in episode 43. Charles Pierce was perhaps the first of the renegades to suggest that the laws of nature themselves evolve, much like habits. He goes into a lot of detail on this. We've touched on this before. And this was picked up in today's world by astrophysicist Lee Smolin as well as by biologist Rupert Sheldrake, just to name two contemporary scientists who are open to such a view and have, have endorsed it and talk about it. And what this means is that the laws of nature did not just miraculously appear at the beginning of the Big Bang. You know, a lot of people say it seems that the universe is really fine-tuned for life. Well, maybe this is part of this habit-forming, this development, this becoming, this evolution. Maybe that's what's going on. Obviously, this is only one scientific hypothesis at this point, but it's one worth considering that all and everything, including nature's laws, have evolved, are developing, are continuing to develop along with us. So, to summarize, I've discussed how the universe and all that it entails is a process and not a thing, that it is evolving, it is eternally becoming. And this way of looking at things could be seen in philosophy, religion, and science. Now, that's not the generally accepted view of those three disciplines, but you can find strains of that, as, as we've discussed, uh, within each of those areas. Now, Hegel's abstract logic and the life and creative idea contained within are indeed timeless, but nonetheless, they are brought to actuality in the real world of nature and spirit. This is the world of becoming. Spirit is becoming. Now, much like the present moment is timeless, but it's brought to life by the coming and going of being. The abstract, absolute idea does not exist on its own apart from the universe, just like the abstract being does not exist on its own at the beginning of the logic. But through its interplay with nothing, it established its unity with nothing in becoming. And the good news is that we are all part of this process, this ongoing process. So onward and upward. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you once again so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And for all your wonderful comments and help and suggestions on the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist. So if you haven't checked that out, please do so. Please follow, follow it, like it. And as I mentioned, I do post there frequently, almost daily, in, in between episodes, and I engage in interesting discussions with page followers. I always comment back. So um, please, if you haven't gone, gone there yet, please do so and, and check it out. Provide your comments. Let your voice be heard. And feel free to share this and other episodes on your various social media accounts. 
as I said, help spread the word. So let me sign off by saying, I'm Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. See you next time.